American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. This is Alex, joined as always by my co-host James. The season's over! Yay! <laughs> it does kind of feel like that. We are also joined by Jerry Gibson from the Toffee Blues. Jerry, thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. It's great to be here. Great to be talking to you with, uh, yeah, and not watching the game. Yay. <laughs> Fun Everton <laughs> stuff. Yeah, no, long time no talk. We really appreciate you joining us. So hyped to have you on the show. So we are here to discuss the 1-3 loss against Bournemouth at Goodison Park. Technically at home, fellas. Uh, we actually had a very good home record this season. Surprisingly, it's just the away record that seemed to haunt us until, of course, the last day of the season. Jerry, how about you go first since you're our guest? Please give us your instant match reaction. Uh, that's probably it. That's um, <laughs> I, I I realized I made that noise and it just came out and I was like, no, that's pretty much it. it it's a weird it's a weird one. It just felt very, uh, very meh, very anticlimactic. Like I. I didn't feel like it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen us do. It wasn't, you know, um, but I think my biggest, biggest frustration stem from what seems to be a lack of urgency uh, and the our inability to be able to crack into a defense that is bunkering back. Yeah, for me, it was just a terrible, terrible way to end the season. No sense of urgency. I mean, obviously, Bournemouth had much more to play for than we did, but we gave them every opportunity they possible we possibly could to help them stay up, and they took advantage. No sense of urgency in the midfield. We dominated possession, but made very little happen. Seems like that's a recurring theme. Like whenever we're able to actually control possession, supposedly control the game, we actually have very little control over the outcome and end up struggling to execute. And I think that was the theme here today. Couple bright spots, but by and large. Really disappointing way to end a very disappointing season. Yeah, all fair points. And, you know, for me, I think it was just an odd viewing experience because, you know, the whole project restart with no fans was already kind of strange enough, right? And the fact that we were playing, the, finishing the season anyway. And then the fact that it was already hard enough to care because we had nothing to play for, seemingly. Bournemouth obviously had everything to play for, although they still came up short. And we're just kind of left with, as you said, Jerry, meh. So to dive into the game a little bit closer, let's talk about the lineup. So I think I, I think I can speak for most people to say that I was surprised to see Moyes Keane get the start over Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top. We did not play two strikers. We ended up playing uh, a 4-2-3-1 with Gilfie Sigurdsson in the hole at attacking midfield. And then we had Richarlison out on the left and Walcott on the right. Um, pretty much the same back seven, if you're including the keeper as it's been because of our limited options and our injuries. So, Jerry, you first. What did you think about the starting lineup in general? Honestly, I, I, I was totally fine with it. I was excited to see Moise King get a, get a start and get an opportunity to, to get into the floor of the game. Um, you know, Coleman comes back, I think, because I think Sidibe had, had gotten a, a little bit of run before. 
Um, and Branthwaite. Branthwaite, who looks really assured, uh, closing down defenders. So I, I liked the, uh, the starting lineup. I didn't really, as soon as I saw it, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm down with that. Love to see what happens. Kind of hard to complain when it's the last day of the season, right? I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah, no major surprises in the lineup. I mean, I, I was a little bit surprised to see Keen start just because it was kind of unclear whether or not he'd recovered from his knock. But he'd been itching for a start for some time now, ever since the season resumed. And he made the most of it. Overall, the rest of the lineup doesn't really surprise me. I think Theo Walcott maybe starting over Anthony Gordon could have, you could make an argument for one or the other. Richarlison on the left, you know, we, we've seen him make such an important impact in that area at times in his Everton career, not his strongest match today. But I agree, you know, Michael Keane and Branthwaite at the back were not particularly great, but I'm still very encouraged by the glimpses of, of poise and composure that we've seen from Jared Branthwaite in the last three matches. Jared Branthwaite has been absolutely fantastic. And I think that's highlighted. So let's let's kind of talk about how the flow of the match went, right? Right off the cuff, we saw that Bournemouth were going to press us very high and very aggressively, like a lot of teams have been doing. And our strong suits are definitely not necessarily playing out from the back, but that's essentially how you break the press and break it well. And when we what we saw from Jared Branthwaite, in my opinion, immediately from from the starting whistle is is the ability, the calm composure on the ball to just be able to play out of pressure, play those simple passes to Michael Keane on your right hand side, you know, to to Andre Gomez right between you two further forward. And that was always really impressive, specifically because of his age and just how easy he makes it look. It doesn't even matter. No matter what age he is, he makes it look easy. And so that was nice. But, you know, we're, we're getting press. Nobody's really getting into, if anything, Bournemouth really came out on top in the opening minutes. Next thing you know, we have a scramble in the box and Richarlison gets a handball, rightfully rightfully awarded, and we are down 1-0 to Bournemouth at home in like the first 12 minutes. It was a clear penalty on Richarlison. He made a big you know, fuss after it was called, saying, no, it was my shoulder, it was my shoulder, but on the replay, it clearly hits his mid-upper arm. And I mean, that's a, on VAR review. It's a clear, clear penalty, and they slotted away by Jordan Pickford, and we're down 1-0. Frustrating to go down that early on a penalty, but also very Everton-esque to go down in that fashion. Yeah, I I was watching the game with my family, you know, my wife and both wife and both my boys. And uh when it happens, my wife looks over at me and she's like, was it? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I don't care what it I was like, unless they give me a really convincing angle that it goes against the three that they're showing me right now, I can't imagine it being overturned. And to to give them credit, they actually reviewed this one. Um yeah, it, it was a it was a little disheartening, but I didn't think our play dipped too much after it that's fair it was completely deserved but then we kind of march up the pitch and and we were trying to get some sort of stranglehold on the match um early on and i think it did take us a couple more minutes but as we started to apply some pressure and move up the pitch pretty quickly there was an instance in which we definitely could have been awarded a handball in which i think Moyes keen was somewhat involved and i couldn't even tell you who in the box um on bournemouth uh was well, handled the ball themselves. But nonetheless, I think that brings it down to just like the frustrating uh, part of, well, really specifically VAR to have VAR review both instances, and yet only one was a handball. One was a, a handball call for a penalty. Well, they also reviewed the Luca Dean when it, and they ended up not awarding right, it. And right. I thought that one was almost more obvious than the Richarlison one. So that was bizarre. And then to not have the one that would have been for us awarded or not even reviewed at all. It it just is, again, it's more frustration with VAR 
Where is the consistency? What's the precedent they're trying to set here? Because to me, that's a clear penalty for us. And we should be at that point given a, given a PK and we're not. And you're wondering like, what's the criteria? Is it because there's no stoppage in play nearby the actual incident? It makes no sense. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a tangent for another day, but that was very frustrating at the same time. Would it have ultimately made a difference? I'm not sure because, you know, Bournemouth really did completely outplay us today, both in execution and in effort. I think one could argue that that it would have made a difference simply because they would have had to open up more. You know, Bournemouth were sitting back quite a bit. And at that point, we were 0-1 down. And so we could have tied the match up. I mean, obviously, we did later on later on anyway, but it could have. It, it could have certainly opened the match up a little bit. But in terms of the precedent, you want to ask about like the precedence that it sets. The first year of VAR, Manchester United broke the record for penalties in a single season with 14 awarded. 14 penalties awarded in their season. By the way... That's tied for our joint top scorer in Richarlison, I'm pretty sure, in the league. That's how big of a difference they make. But nonetheless, as you said, VAR, I guess, is, is a bit of a different, <laughs> a, a bit of a different conversation. But as it is the last day on the league, I think that's pretty relevant and honestly kind of shocking. Yeah, I think James was saying it best. I, I, I really just seek consistency in all of this. And I would really, it would be really, uh, encouraging. For some of them that are really a little tougher, have, you know, have, have them actually look at a monitor, the, this, this mythological monitor that's supposed to be uh, pitch side that they never look at. It, there's just such a, it seems like, like, again, I don't think it had much effect on the game. A little. Alex, you bring up a really good point. It, it possibly could have opened it up a little bit more, but I don't know. <laughs> I just want to see them look at the monitor every once in a while and not be afraid to go against their peers every once in a while. Now it's but again, consistency the main thing. I mean, you talk about the openness of the game. I thought it was it was a very open game and the announcers commented on it multiple times. There was a lot of space to be found in the middle of the pitch. And our execution from the midfield was as bad as I've really seen it to date today. It was so poor. Tom Davies and Andre Gomez had so much time and space a lot of times when they received the ball and just could make nothing happen. Tom Davies gave a ton of effort today, and he gets so much stick from the fans. Today, it was pretty warranted, at least on the offensive side of the ball. He was pretty woeful. Did try to do a few things here and there, but the passing, there was the the moment where he made like a 10-yard pass wide open out wide to Luca Dean and completely missed it, completely put the wrong weight on the ball. Just so, so frustrating. But at the same time, it's nothing new because it's just a continuation of all of the poor play that we've seen this season. And, it, you know, even against relegation sides this season, we've been abysmal and we should not be dropping this many points to teams that are no longer even going to be in this league next year. Completely fair. That That is also something that we've covered before. And, and I think Ancelotti knows this, but we need to start securing points against teams that we should be, right? It's been an interesting time for Everton over the last couple of years in which seemingly we have always played better against better teams that open up more and play a little bit more expansive. Uh, and and we, we try to go toe-to-toe with them in some instances more recently than than in the last couple of years. But then, you know, we get we get these sides that are lower in the table, and what we like to do is we like to play to their to their standards. And un- unfortunately, we really haven't had the consistent attacking quality to break down sides that are sitting so deep and defending in something like a flat 4-4-2, which we know uh, because our defense has not been the best this season, that a flat 4-4-2, no matter who you have in there, is still pretty hard to break down because there are far less uh, half spaces in general. Yeah, it felt like uh, the game, I 
I think the beginning, the first half for sure, and the beginning of the second half felt way more open than I think it was the point when they brought in billing, which felt like that clogged a lot. And it seemed like we were just passing around, trying to find an opening, playing in a cross. They clear it out. Rinse, repeat. It, it was just it felt like it was over and over again. Uh, they packed back and we just could not figure out a way to to unlock. Um, and the open game was what I wanted. I really wanted that open game because I thought that was exactly what we needed. And yeah, <laughs> when I saw us batting the ball around the back, I was like, I don't know if this is going to go well for us. Yeah. And, you know, as time ran on, right. And and I know we don't need, necessarily need to hop too much into specifics of, of how the match went simply because it's the last match of the season. And well, we lost three one. But I thought <laughs> an interesting takeaway from the from from the second half specifically is. Once we started seeing substitutes, I legitimately thought our play got much worse. And the interesting thing is I think we subbed on four people in total. And, and you know, we had a couple changes in the starting lineup. This is, I mean, it's a slightly different, it's a different formation than we've been working in under, under Carlo Ancelotti. Um, but I wouldn't have expected most of the subs to come on and look as bad as they did. Maybe Bernard, not not too much of a surprise. Now, Gordon, I think, did pretty much... He he did pretty good in general. But I thought overall as a team, our play did not improve as subs came on. Definitely not. It was actually ended up being five substitutions. And Carlo kicked off the subs with taking out our entire right side. He brings off Walcott for Gordon and brings off Coleman for, for Sidibe. And it just went... Anthony Gordon was a bright spot. You could tell that we... At once Gordon came on, we made it a concerted effort to get him the ball as much as possible. And he continues to look more intelligent, more inspired than, than anyone else in the side with, with the ball at his feet, constantly looking to try things, take players on, use his pace. He looks just so, so fast. Like he tried to play that touch beyond, I want to say it was Rico and almost just beat him for pace and ended up being a pretty good defensive play. But Sidibe won't be missed next season. It's looking like we're not going to execute our option to buy. He was woeful. Offered nothing. I thought Coleman did an okay job getting forward before he came off in, in City Bay. Did nothing of note in his substitute appearance. Uh, you could say that about the rest of the subs as well. I thought Calvert-Lewin was fairly anonymous. We had, you know, Bernard come on and just continue to frustrate as he has so many times. And Leighton Baines, we'll touch on that shortly because it was sort of a run out. And of course, the announcement coming out that he has announced his retirement a monumental moment in the history of Everton, you know, Premier League, arguably our greatest player in the Premier League era. It's so sad to see him go out in under these circumstances. It's extremely sad because there was there was a while in which last season we didn't know if he would extend even through this season. I think it took him, if I remember correctly, about a month to accept the offer. Now, we then extended him another one year contract extension we offered him uh, another one-year contract extension for next year carlo ancelotti thinks that he is still absolutely fit can contribute um it's been said in the media publicly that we did offer it to him by carlo himself and it definitely felt when leighton baines got subbed on for the last 20 minutes or so that that was going to be it now we have the official confirmation directly after the match and i think the saddest part about it all is the fact that the fans weren't there to give him like his standing ovation as he walked off well on and off the pitch, you know, like that is so sad to me. Yeah, I would agree. And I actually thought that when it was happening, when he came on and he didn't start, I was like, Oh, he's coming back. You know, <laughs> I thought him not starting was immediately like, Oh, he's going to sign that contract. Um, yeah, it hurt. 
it hurt to to for, to have it be such a it felt like a an uninspired effort for a player in his final match from the team because he, he let's be honest he put in that really nice goal saving tackle he still had some moments it, it wasn't his worst match that he's ever played but it just it was just a bummer for it for it to go out like that so yeah it's a sad one especially since he's my favorite player uh, ever in the sport so. It sucks. Safe to say he'll go down as an Everton legend and truly, truly deserved a better way to go out than this. This is certainly not how anyone would want to start their retirement. With all the disruption that's gone on this season, I think he probably has just sort of been taking me. I think maybe if, if, you know, there wasn't the disruption in the season, he may have given more thought to staying on another year. I think this may have been some sort of a signal or something that and, and he'll probably speak to this in the coming days and weeks as to his exact motivations as to why he didn't sign the deal. But it's depressing. Like we've had him on the team since I have been a fan of fan of the club. He'll go down as one of the greatest left backs of the Premier League era. No question. It's going to take a little bit to kind of process what it means for the club going forward. It's not like he's been a regular fixture for us, but but I just keep thinking about that goal at Leicester earlier or at Goodison yeah. against Leicester earlier this season. And, you know, we didn't get the result on that day that the goal deserved. And we didn't give Leighton Baines the send off that he deserved today. And all in all, that sums up what has been a profoundly disappointing Everton season as a whole. Well, not to get too too much too far into the read too far into the lines on this one, right? The official Everton account tweeted also after tweeting, you know, Leighton Baines' retirement. They tweeted some quotes from Carlo Ancelotti, and Carlo said Leighton has taken the decision to stop playing. I'm I'm putting a lot of emphasis on playing, by the way. That's not part of the quote. Playing. I think every Evertonian has to be grateful to him. Then he goes on to say, we would like to keep him in the club because his knowledge is very important. It is his decision. Gentlemen, he said he took the decision to stop playing, but he went on to say he still wants him at the club and it's his decision. That to me tells me that Leighton Baines could and possibly would be involved next season in, in a back office staff sort of role in some capacity. I agree. I, that's the way I heard that. That's the way I read that. You know, I think he's, I don't know if it's cut. What's funny is you hear all these rumors about Leighton Baines being like really into photography. And so like, I heard this and people were like, look, he, that's what he wants to do when he gets out. Uh, so I, you think maybe he's going to get some form of like media job with, with the club, which is would have been unheard of. But, uh, but when we, he's an artsy guy, so that would make sense. But I think it's going to be some form of coaching role. That's, I think you're, Spot on with that man. Yeah, anything to keep Leighton Baines around the club for as long as possible. It's true. He's always been a player who's, who never seemed to... Well, he always had... It's always been known that he's had his interest outside of football and that football hasn't maybe been the primary driver of his happiness or of his life. I think he's he's one where it's almost always seemed like a... He's obviously very passionate about the club, but it's never been his entire being the way it is with some other players. So it'll be good for him to, I think, take a step back and maybe explore some of his other hobbies and passions. I'm very happy for him to be able to do that. Um, coincidentally, so this is kind of unrelated, but my dad is retiring from teaching after like 41 years this year. So like going out under the COVID circumstances, making this next step in your life's journey is just a huge, huge moment. And I, th I think, you know, Leighton will, he'll stay around the club. I think he's, he's too much of a fixture of Everton and embodies what the club is all about too much. But it's also going to give him more time to do the things that truly make him happy. And, and I'm happy for him in that way. Yeah. Going off what you guys are saying also, uh, 
I, I I sort of feel like Everton and the sport owe him more than he's actually gotten. You know, the fact that Everton hasn't won silverware with him. That's just, that's not cool. That's not cool. He should have gotten more England caps. That, that wasn't cool. There's a lot of stuff about Leighton Baines, his career. That's just, he's just an uns, unsung guy, you know, but that's sort of, I feel like that's sort of how he is. You know, he's very like, look, I'm just going to be a professional. I'm just going to do my thing. I'm just going to be cool. And I don't have to be all in your face while I'm doing it. It makes sense. But I do think Everton feel like the club feel like we we do owe Leighton some more. And if he wants it, he'll I'm sure there's a place there for him. Also good points, too. It is. I mean, it's it's sad. It's happy. It's pretty much everything. Um, I think I can just speak for all of us when I say we're thankful to see him get back on the pitch today for, you know, a solid 20 minutes or so. But the last topic before we wrap up our last episode of the wild 2019-2020 season for the Toffees. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti, and correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, uh, essentially he was prompted with a question a couple of days ago in which he asked if this coming transfer window for Everton Football Club would be an evolution or a revolution. Am I correct in saying that's kind of how the question was prompted? I believe so. So his answer is very interesting, and, and I want to get your both of your thoughts on this. He said, it will be for sure an evolution of the club. Everton wants to make the next next step, which is to improve. He goes on to talk about the fact that we need to be finishing far higher than 11th or 12th in the table like this season. But then he said something else. He said, we need better quality, better ambition, better motivation, and more passion. So, gentlemen, based on his comment simply that it will be an evolution for the club, and then his last sentence about all of the things that we need more of, how does that make you feel about the upcoming transfer transfer window? And and Jerry, because you are our guest, I think you know how this goes, but please offer your thoughts first. I mean, you get you do get excited because you're thinking I mean, when he's talking about the quality and passion, those are two things you you feel like passion should be there. And when passion's not there, you're like, that's the la- that's the least thing we should be able to ask for as as supporters is passion and just just caring. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I don't think we're going to be bringing in eight players or anything like that. I think it's going to be more like four, uh, because I feel like Marcel Bronze is a pretty logical guy. I think there, you know, certain positions, there could be free transfers coming in. I'm very excited about this. I just hope we, you know, are cautious, are cautious and go in, uh, you know, thinking about what the, what the money's going to do and the way investments work. Jerry, let's be real. In the time that I've been an Everton fan. Caution during the transfer window is not an adjective that I would use to describe the fan base. Big Daddy Moshiri. Yeah. But it is – it's so frustrating. I mean I always look forward to the transfer window because it feels like a new beginning. And over the last three or four years, every season has ended relatively disappointingly. So every time we go into the summer, it's like – oh, we've got this chance to improve. We've got this chance to get better. And then the season actually starts and all those hopes and dreams come crashing down around our heads. I think Carlo Ancelotti and Marcel Brands are about as close to a dream team as you could possibly have from a recruitment perspective. So I'm really anticipating, you know, between the two of them that we'll be able to lure some very quality talent to Everton in the summer. I agree with you, Jerry. It's not going to be the dramatic overhaul that maybe we need. We're not going to be able to sell, for example, like I saw today, seven or eight of the players who played today and replace them next season. But at the same time, when this squad's fully healthy, 
I don't think we're that many players away from having a cohesive unit out there. And in particular, the midfield, I think one or two players to complement a healthy Jean-Philippe Gabamin and Andre Gomez would give us a lot more, I think, just vigor and effort and quality in that area. And I really think that that is the area that needs the most improvement. We'll talk about it in the coming months in more detail. But as far as Ancelotti's comments specifically, I don't think there's anything shocking in them. And I do think the subtext of it when he says better quality, better ambition, better motivation, and more passion is towards the squad that he has right now, saying this is clearly not good enough. Not only do we need to bring new players in, but the players that we have need to kind of take a deep look at themselves to improve for next season. Yeah, and and I love that he said that, though, too. I love that it's pointed at the current crop of players. I think they know that that that's how he's been feeling, and yet we've been getting kind of the the half-assed sort of attempt on the pitch that we've seen over the over the last like month or so. I mean, we've seen some pretty good performances sprinkled in there in terms of at least just their their motivation, right, during the match. But I think it's going to be interesting. Really, it's going to be about getting quality players, but really seeing who we can ship out, and then. Making sure that we actually strengthen the right areas, you know, cough, cough, center back this season, right? So, you know, we could make some quality signings, but if we don't make them in the right places at the right time, then, you know, it doesn't always help as much as it could. Um, But in terms of signings and transfers, we're going to be doing an in-depth squad analysis episode very soon to kick off the transfer window. So look out for that episode. Uh, Jerry, we really appreciate you joining us today on the American Toffee Podcast for the last episode of the season. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to hear your voices, and I wish it was, you know, right now it's it's kind of like you know it's gonna it's gonna go up, you know, transfer window positivity now, flip flops on, let's do this. Fair enough, fair enough. I like <laughs> it. It sounds like he's on the train, James. Don't make me do the choo choo, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Sad face. After the last few weeks, the Choo Choo's getting retired for a little bit. Now, when the first when the first signing of the summer comes in, we may be uh maybe a different story. But for now, the train is firmly stopped at the station, ready for ready for the train to embark on a new journey this summer as we revamp the squad to the extent that we can and we look ahead to the 2020-2021 season. Without further ado, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg slash ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.